0: turn to Psalm 39 in your Old Testaments. Psalm 39 which has an unusual uh, distinction that I'll explain to you later. We're uh, in book one of the Psalms which we will complete at the end of the summer and then in fall we're going to uh, be moving on towards something else. I've got a couple of things in mind. Be, be in prayer for me. I kind of thought I had it figured out. Started praying some more and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I've kind of narrowed it down to a few things and We really want the Lord to speak. We we commit to to large studies of Scripture, and so uh, it's important if you would pray. Psalm 39, a psalm of David, given to the choirmaster. I said, I will watch my ways, and I will keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue, show me, O Lord, my life's end, and the number of my days, let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom and he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not even knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien and a stranger as my fathers were. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. Until you're low, you'll never know. That's what this is about. Until you're low you'll never know. Uh, The question Lee asked earlier, where do you learn the most about God? Is it on the mountaintop or is it in the valley? I hate that question because I hate the answer and I don't want to have to go through the answer to that question to receive the benefit Uh, The answer to that question, and we prayed that, that famous Puritan prayer, you have brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but where I see you in the heights. And the prayer goes on to say the valley is the place of vision. Until you are low, you will never know. The first thing here is this idea of until you're low. King David is low. You know, the Psalms, wow, the Psalms really reach down deep into our human experience. I mean, they really, a lot of people, when they're going through things, in fact, I was talking to somebody this week, said, I just kind of gravitated to the Psalms because of the, the depth of, of expression of, of what we go through and the greatness of God and the connection between those two. King David is obviously very low here. King David is going through something very very trying we're not sure exactly what it is Um, some people think because of the the blow of the hand of God it might be some sickness or or something where his strength is sapped and he's very discouraged Uh, other people think that he's surrounded by enemy enemies and you know he's just kind of been stung by a big wasp and is swollen and doesn't know what to do with with what's happened to him and all these people surround him some people think maybe this is when he's fleeing from his son Absalom who wants to topple him but for for sure he's going through trouble and this is the important part for sure he has he has humbled himself beneath whatever that humbling providence is whatever it is that God that providence that that will of God that he's allowed that God has allowed into his life uh, it has brought him to this place of of being low and what David's trying to tell us is that's actually good. We fight against that in our lives, but it's, it's very good. And, um, you know, I remember in my life different times of lowness. I remember a year of unemployment right after seminary an entire year. And everything just kind of vaporized one after another. I couldn't figure it out and went through every shade of emotion and disappointment, and anger, and, 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 you know. I remember sicknesses, my own and the sicknesses of other people that went on. I remember how some of the sicknesses of other people and so much prayer, God decided to deliver them through death instead of from death, and it just left me depleted, and I felt low. I remember difficult times of of conflict and just not wanting to have to get up in the morning to to keep facing that conflict that just wasn't going away. I just couldn't pray it away. And I was brought low. Even recently in my life, there have been struggles that I've just had to just wrestle with God. What about you? I, I know in your history that that you've had to to wrestle and struggle. Maybe you are now, and it's certainly not fun. But I I tell you, sooner or later, we we all get there. And the question is, will we humble ourselves under the humbling providence of God? Will we get low, or will we get mad? Now, we often get mad before we get low. (laughs) In fact, the good news here in Psalm 39, which is... When you read it, it just feels like one of the messiest psalms in the whole book. One of the great things about it is there just aren't any techniques laid down for tracks for you to to one, two, three, get out of the way you feel and and move beyond your struggle. There's just a lowliness here and, and an intense recognition of need before a God who loves us and never turns his back on his children. And and what's so great is, did did you see? David's all over the highway emotionally in this psalm. And folks, he never gets to a triumphant place in Psalm 39. That is one of the distinguishing marks of Psalm 39. Almost every other psalm. Man, he's going through the lowness. Man, he's going through it. He looks to God. He puts his trust in God. He praises God. And God lifts him up out of the slimy pit. Puts his feet on the rock. Praise the Lord. See, la. You know, think about that. Not this one. No. Nope. In this one, David only gets real and seeks God and is still struggling When the psalm ends And yet David says to the choir master Put this one in the hymn book (laughs) Do Do you notice that? The little subscription to Jeduthun And he's mentioned in other places As one of the master musicians Put this one in the hymn book I mean this one doesn't seem as nice and tidy This doesn't have the happy ending. Why put this one in the hymn book? Because this is very often the way we experience life before a God of grace who never turns away from us. Verse 1, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. As long as I am in the presence of the wicked. I mean, he is dazed and not exactly sure what to do and he's just gonna shut his mouth have you ever felt that way? you ever feel just like knocked over and not sure what to do Or, or heaped up and and not sure what to do and and so what he does which is really great is he does nothing immediately And that's good. And basically, David's saying, I'm not going to blurt my hurt. I'm not going to simply blurt my hurt, especially to to people who very well might not love me and might want to take me down. It's really interesting here. And so, the text says, instead of blurting his hurt, he meditates. He calls the time out and he says, you know what, I need to, as hard as this is, I need to think about this. I need to think maybe what this is all about. I need to seek the reality of this. It's as if, and it's as if David is saying, don't reach for the drug of instant relief. Look, we're going to want to reach for that every time. And I promise you, if you reach for it, it's not there. Every once in a while, God will just kaboom, and man, it's just all gone. Woo-hoo, we're back back at a high place. That is very rare, and the reason it's rare is because God literally has a plan according to his goodness in that valley. And so he's not going to just vaporize the valley until we see the reality. And we're not going to see the reality until we're low. Until we're low, we'll never know. And so it's as if David is saying to us pastorally, don't reach for the drug of instant relief. There's rarely instant relief from the wrestling that God intends for us to have. Verse 2, when I was silent and still and not even saying anything, he says, not even saying anything good, my my anguish increased. This is not going away. My heart grew hot within me and and as I meditated, the fire burned. This meditation isn't like Eastern religion nirvana, umshakalaka. This is seeking reality. He's not going to just go blurt. He's not going to just go blame. He's going to seek God, and he's going to seek reality. David meditated, and it was like a raging fire inside of him. And then he spoke, finally, to God first. And we have his words here. And then, and then he spoke to others. And he's still speaking to us this very day. He spoke, he meditated, he, he, he thought, you know what, I need, I need to seek reality here. Not just try to get out of something. And I need to talk to God if you're in a big store and you can't find something, and you don't know where it is, I mean like it's an obscure thing, like some little air, little filter or something, you're not sure exactly, you need to kind of talk to the right person. You don't just walk up to another customer and, and say... I have needed this strange size filter and they don't seem to have one. I'm so disappointed. I'm so destroyed. When are these people going to get the air filters or the the filters that I need? Can't you tell me where they are? And and, and maybe they're out. Don't you just hate this store? What's wrong with these people? I feel so mistreated. Can't you fix me? If a customer is going to go, excuse me, I don't work here. I came for some milk. <laughs> Better to actually talk to someone who works there and ask them the same question, maybe without, without all the, the frills, but, you know, maybe the frills are okay. David um, certainly got a lot of, lot of emotion packed into what he's saying, doesn't he? Maybe uh, you'd ask that. Maybe they'd answer, I- I'm so sorry you're in such emotional pain, but the, the filters are over there. The reason you couldn't find them is they're on order, and they should get here in a few days. Can I have your cell phone number? I mean, that's it, you know, it's like, it just get me to the right person, and we'll get toward something meaningful. God is the right person to go to first. He's the one who actually has the answer. And by the way, a good counselor will listen carefully to you, and he will always send. Christian counselor, Distinguishing mark, he'll always send you back to God always help you connect with God, and then he'll help you interpret that and really walk through the deep issues and the implications, etc. We'll either get mad or we'll get low. Mad is demanding, low is seeking. So until you're low, secondly, until you're low, you'll never know. And David actually helps us understand what we'll never know until we get to that place of lowliness, David finally speaks. His heart's burning up. He speaks to God. He's come to the place where he's not going to try to order God around. He's not. He's not looking for some ripcord. I mean, look, it's fine if we do. It's not going to be there every time. I'm not. I, I can't tell you. Don't ever want instant relief. I want instant relief. I'm just telling you, it's not there. I'm just telling you, a better way to do it is to not go through all the. ...around the, the, the world and, and back with nothing of, of ordering God around. Okay? Um, how, it, it, what David finds is, is an approach to God where he has great needs and desires. I don't mean when I say ordering God around that you don't say, Lord, I just feel like I need this." I'm not saying that. I'm saying, God, this is uncomfortable. Get rid of it now. And, and David gets in his loneliness to, a, to in a place where he actually approaches God... And he wants to know the truth so that he can actually be helped, not just ripped out. You know, it's not like God does the jaws of life every time something happens to us and just kind of rips us out of our mess immediately. I wish he did, but it's just not true. Any great in your church, you can like hear the truth. Verse three then I spoke with my tongue, Lord, show me. Lord, show me. I want to see what it is. Trials are not there, folks, just to make us tough. They are there to help us turn to God who is full of grace and power. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. No, when the going gets tough, people start praying to the one who actually has the power and what david says here actually lays out people lays out hope for people who are, are going through things and they're just all over the highway emotionally maybe that's you today i don't know what's going on. it doesn't have to be something huge but you're just all over the highway emotionally i mean you, maybe you've already gone through the god winning you you know this should have this should have been gone within 5 minutes of my identification of it <laughs> you know and it's not this song closes it's not gone and, and David is reaching out, and his lowliness brings out three important realizations. If you're not, until you're low, you'll never know. Here are the things we'll never know. Taught to us by God the Holy Spirit through David in Psalm 39. First of all, until you're low, you'll never know the, the truth about who you actually are and gain perspective on, on you as a, as a human before God. David gets to the place where he doesn't want just relief, he wants reality. Look at verse 4. Show me, O Lord. I mean, don't you think this is a pretty amazing transition? Then I spoke to God. You'd think he'd say, then I spoke to God. God, you got to do something now. He says, then I spoke, I've meditated, and then I spoke to God. God, show me how short my life is. Show me the reality of my humanity. Look at verse 4. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days he didn't mean the exact number but just the shortness let me know how fleeting my life is verse 5 you have made my days just a mere hand breath. the span of my years is nothing before you each man's life is but a a breath or a vapor man is a mere phantom or a shadow as he goes to and fro bustling about but only in vain he heaps up wealth not knowing who will actually get it? What they're gonna do with it. You don't even know. It's just so gone. And as powerful and as in control as we think we ought to be, the reality of our lives is that we're not, and it's a short ride, folks. It is fleeting. It's it's the size of a handbreadth. That right there is a hand breath. The four fingers. That's how that's how that's how long your life is. That's what the, the Bible is saying here. If that doesn't communicate, it's as nothing before the Lord. If that doesn't communicate, it's a vapor. Go out on a cold morning, go, And just as fast as that breath disappeared into the air, that's just as fast, in a sense, before God. If that's what our, our lives are like. We, we don't have the power to make it anything else we need to accept it for what it is and let that reality lead us to god even the material we wealth we amass which david's not saying there's anything wrong with it it's just not going to provide anything it's not even going to really provide a legacy because somebody that you're not even sure who actually is going to get it what they're going to do with it i mean maybe they'll do something good with it maybe they won't do something good with it. you don't know the point is you're gone And so, all this stuff that you're banking on, you can't bank on it. That's radical to pray that in pain. And that is just the opposite of everything we hear in our culture. What do we hear in our culture? The only thing that, the the only real value is your youth. And we despise old age. And we don't want to think about death, right? And so we try to be young as long. We try to appear. We try to hold on. I'm not saying that we're being healthy. I mean, again, don't, don't think, think about the big picture here, all right? We don't think about the shortness of life in our culture. We're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to expand that out. We're trying to, to glorify youth. Uh, we want to believe that we are forever young, um, we want to believe that our possessions will actually define us and make us secure and give us a legacy. They won't. That's everything the culture's saying. Try to stay young and try to have more than you need and, and pass along something. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It just doesn't square, finally, with life's a hand and a vapor, and you don't have any control over it. And so, if I, you don't have control over it, who do you turn to? The one who has control over it i'm 48 and some of you are saying that's young some of you are saying that's old depends on where you are okay i'm 48 sounds like like alcoholics hi i'm joseph and i'm 48 (laughs) and uh i'm just now realizing i think what a short ride it is i got my first clue when my dad died when i was 14 But I really get it because I was 14. And I was eternal. And I was indestructible. So I didn't quite get it. But uh, now that I've provided, presided rather, over like several hundred funerals. And now that I definitely am starting to feel my body not indestructible. (laughs) And some of the pains of uh, being even 48. Maybe we should say the beginnings of those. Um... And frankly, children who are about to go to college and a lot of other things in my life don't want to just like bore you too much with my life. But I'm going to tell you something. I had not wanted maybe to get that like I'm starting to get it. But I am. And I will report to you that those meditations are helpful to me. And they make me value the life that God has given me and the time remaining, whatever that is. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Everything in our culture says, don't look at that. Basically, what we find here is David not finding the answer in himself, but wanting to see reality. And so David turns to God. Look at verse 7. After all though we're not this, we're quick, we're... We're not in control. Verse 7 says, but now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. There it is. There is the turning point of the psalm. Instead of saying, my life ought to be everything it ought to be, and I ought to, Disney theology, dream it and do it, and nobody should stop me, and I should be forever young and have everything, and it all should revolve around me, and it should never stop. David says, but now, O oh Lord, if, if that is not the way it is, what do I look for? My hope is in you. You see how this, this, this reality leads to a perspective that leads to this actual hope in God and trust in God rather than ourselves and, and, and other people and, and stuff. Finally... And so until you're low, you'll, you'll really never know the real truth about humanity. and You'll never have that perspective, but you've got to get low. You've got to go through something to see that. Secondly is, until you're low, you're not open to God's discipline like you should be. Now, there's something we love to talk about in a modern culture David's saying this I mean it's like Lord I've got all these things I'm so, I'm so depressed I'm so down I'm all over the highway instead of going Lord take it away now he says show me how small my life is show me how out of control I am and then secondly he says God are you disciplining me what are you doing through this in me The first idea is, is God, I get the perspective to see that you are over it all. The second one is, is God, do you want to do some work in me? Um, It's not a popular thing to ask. David is willing to receive any correction from God that God wants to give him. David trusts in God so much that he invites God the discipline of god verse eight save me from all my transgressions do not make me the scorn of fools because to continue to live that way will make us fools i was silent i would not open my mouth for you are the one who has done this oh my how politically incorrect you're involved in this god I'm I'm running for my life or I'm sick and can't get up. And you are involved in this at some level in which you are not the author of sin. You are not trying to to, uh, create evil. You're not trying to push me down. You're actually trying to love me through this. Verse 10. It just gets deeper here. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. See law, which means praise God, meditate on it. Stop, think about it. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, part 5, says God allows struggle to come into our lives, quote, that we may be humbled to raise us to a more close and constant dependence for our support upon him and to make us more watchful against future occasions of sin and watchful for various other good things that might bring glory to god this this is the question not just god are you over it all but are you are you trying this is how how are you trying to redeem this See, God doesn't want to just remove stuff. He wants to change us. And here's the deal. When you come through it, if you trust God, you get to keep it. You not only have a relationship with God, but he's actually changed you. And and wherever you go, mountain, valley, in between, you get to keep that. That's beautiful. That's a gift from God. Again, I don't like the question, learn more in the mountain or valley. Shut up. I don't want to think about this. You know? We don't have to know the mind of God. Either. Just trust him. Ask him to work. And if God wants to rebuke you or me, the key is not to figure it out. The key is to trust God and say, Redeem this, Lord. Whatever it is, work in me, change me. I remember going through that painful year of unemployment and the dashed dreams, one after another. And I am not exactly sure all that's about. It took a while for me to figure it out. But I actually, sometimes you do figure it out. I did finally figure out that God was literally in a full-scale frontal attack on my pride. Because he just really wanted me to minister Jesus rather than me, which I still struggle with to this day. It was good that God did that. sure wasn't fun. might not have answered that while I was in it <laughs> that way. Um, see, David's not just looking for some way out of his suffering, but he's thinking about now how God might use it. And his lowliness has actually like pulled down his defenses against God. Do you understand what I just said? We kind of got our defenses against our enemies, but then we want to we control it. We want it to be, and so we literally put up our defenses against God because maybe God doesn't just want to snatch it out. Maybe God doesn't want to spring poof, poof of dust on it. Maybe God wants to redeem it. I don't know what that looks like in every situation either. I'm not saying it's just horribly, 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 ultimately painful either. And yet for David, it is still so heavy. And these things are not instant. And until you're low, you'll never know the truth about the reality of life being a hand etc. And until you're low, you're not open to Gods truly open to God, for God to work in your life in the midst of this. I mean, even if you didn't cause it, God may still want to give you a blessing by working in your life. You know, when we say the discipline of the Lord, we're not talking about retribution here. We're talking about the involvement of God to change who we are. And then lastly, unless you're low, you'll never really know that God is faithful even when you can't break through. That's a good thing to know. That God is faithful even when you just Feel like you can't break through because this psalm does not have a tidy little ending. It ends with David struggling before God. Now we know God came through because we know David's life story. Whatever those things are, we know he got well. We know he, you know, Absalom, you know that finally came to an end. We know we know the story. And this is the most amazing thing because in the end of all this, David cries out something seemingly so despondent turn your gaze away from me and that's where it ends turn your gaze away from me so i can have a little relief before i die that's a great that's a really encouraging way to end that's how he feels folks hear my prayer O lord listen to my cry verse 12 you want to read it with your own eyes listen to my cry for help be not deaf to my weeping for I dwell as an alien and a stranger. We get that part, right? Just as my fathers were. Peter says we are aliens and strangers in the world belonging to God. Notice the words, I dwell with you as an alien. We get that part. Verse 13, look away from me that I may rejoice again before I depart and are no more. It, it's, it sounds a lot like Luke 5, 8, Peter saying in the great catch of fish, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Did Jesus go away from Peter? No. Jesus turned to Peter and said, I'm not going away. I'm, let me just add a little, little subtext here. I'm not going away. In fact, from now on, you're going to catch men. We're going to really be together. And I'm going to really work in your life. No, go away from me. Nope. Not going away. It, it shows us that God is so understanding and merciful toward us. Isn't it great that in our lives we don't have to like script the redemption of God to where we come to this place where everything's happy and secure and you know and you know I've I've got I've I've come to this place. Maybe God will work in your life if you just recognize his God, ask him to work and even if you don't come to that place, maybe he'll work anyway. Because he's just downright merciful. And that's what's happening here. I don't like all this pressure to become some kind of a nirvana Christian before God will actually do the real stuff. Give me a break. Get real. This is the real stuff. This is real life. And God isn't waiting for you to have some kind of nirvana moment to invade and inhabit your life. If you've put your trust in Jesus, he's there. Even if you're all over the highway, he is there. And he loves you and he is working in your life. I don't know about you, that encourages me so much because I'm often very messy in the way I really feel about things. And here's the reason why if I could just make an application, there If I could just extrapolate to the New Testament real quick. There was one whose life was real short, 33 years. For you. There was one who didn't have any money to pass along to anybody. He didn't have a place to lay his head. For you. And there was one that God did turn away from him. And punished him with everything in his arsenal of holiness for your sin and mine. So that in him laying down his life on the cross, you can take this to the bank, God will never turn away, turn his face ultimately from you. There may be times when he allows things. You'll feel like he's removed his presence. Scripture's taught but he hasn't removed a relationship with you. We don't have to have a technique. We just need to have Christ. And having Christ, we just turn to him rather than ourselves. We don't just blurt our hurt first. We don't try to pull all the levers to make it go away. We think about it. We seek reality, and we talk to God. We become low so we can see it. We we want to see God in it. We want to see God redeem it. We want to see God work in our lives. And even though we're all over the highway, he will be there. And let me just end. Can I put a happy ending on this? (laughs) Which would be my personality type. No, just leave it in despondency. That's where the scriptures leave it, Joseph. No, let's take it to Jesus. And how about this? How about this? In One day, if you've put your trust in the one who's removed, blotted out our sins, one day we will be in a place where there won't be any more struggle, called heaven. And one of the great things about heaven won't just be the streets of gold. It will be the absence of this. And, and the undiluted presence of the love and joy of God, our Redeemer. Don't you think that's a great hymn for the hymn books? Let's pray. Lord, would you work in our lives that no matter what's going on, we would be able to trust you, not try to control it. Would you work in our lives, in the midst of our struggles, even if we didn't call something, would you work in our lives just because you're good and loving, though we hate it? And Lord, thank you that through Jesus you'll never turn away from us Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And Lord, there are some people all over the highway right now. Thank you that you're there and you're at work. And one day we will be with you. Amen.